0: Who here has seen the Matrix? Ah, very good. So this may look familiar to you, right? So you take the blue pill, the story ends. You wake up in your bed and believe whatever you want to believe. You take the red pill, you stay in Wonderland and I'll show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. Remember, all I'm offering you is the truth, nothing more. So here, the blue pill, You walk out this door, you go home. (laughs) The red pill, you stay here, and you see how far we go. And remember, the bar does not open until the session's finished. (laughs) So once you take the red pill and you choose to stay in this room, you can still wash away everything you learned by going to the bar.
1: (laughs) Hey, Vasily? All right, so hi everyone. So let's see what has happened historically. Right? We had the first computers coming up in 1960 and 1980. Usually what happened at that time, the only thing you could actually do with it is physically take the machine and go home with it. Right? That's the only thing you could do for stealing data. Right? Moving to the 1990s, then we start having the computers being able to communicate between each other through the internet. Infant years back then, but still, you know, we could actually remotely be able to go in and uh, hit one computer and start stealing data. But it was a game at that point, right? A challenge for people to go in and try to hack through and get some information out of it. Well, moving though into the 2000 era, things became a little bit more interesting, right? Now people start hitting systems to get personal information, right? And using that as a means to uh, get the upper hand and also get, um, you know, charge your credit card kind of thing, but more importantly, Sometimes you can even have the denial of service, which is, which means you can't do anything, and right? you just your host. Uh, the broke down the system. You can't do anything about it. Well, what did we do about this, uh, this phenomenon? Well, we tried to do all the patching. Um, you know, we ran in the firewalls. We, we have all the antivirus machines that we can put on. Um, the goal is to minimize the risk for somebody to go in and get the personal information or any other kind of information. It can be um, It can also be something like photographs, personal photographs, right? Um, you would think that why this is important? Well, there's people that think that this is very important. Um, so um, at this point, it's not if it's going to happen, it's when. Um, Who has Facebook? Facebook account. Everybody does, right? Um, I do too. Uh, Two weeks ago, I was sitting with my wife on the couch. She was looking at Facebook. And then she gets a message from me. (laughs) (laughs)
2: Like,
1: did you just send me a message? I'm like... I'm, I'm sitting right next to you. <laughs> no. Um, the bottom line is somebody hacked into my account. Um, and we we'll start sending messages out to people. Right as I'm standing up to go to my computer and just you know, try and go and change the password and stuff, a friend of mine sends a message, you've been hacked. right?" And I'm pretty sure you're not interested to celebrity um, weight loss. Uh, weight loss. <laughs> so, it, it was uh, uh, an interesting scenario. I did go in, uh, f- actually Facebook did capture that my account was hacked and they locked it. So I had to go and reset all the password, verify that I was myself, and everything went on their own way. So, uh, keep that in mind, uh, something seems to be going okay, but sometimes they don't.
0: Alright, so. so it used to be that um, people would go in and rob banks physically. You know, we look at people who rob banks physically now and just say, what a bunch of morons, uneducated <laughs> individuals who are risking their lives and an incarceration for something less than $10,000 usually. The average bank robber is like a couple grand. So the thought here is, you know, why would you come and rob the bank, you moron? You, know, you can go online now, you can do this from a country that will not extradite you, and you can be pretty harmless, and you know, it'll be pretty harmless of what will happen to you. And you can get millions and millions and millions of dollars. And in fact, the perpetrators of, this, of these crimes today are not individual hackers, they're cartels. Because they've now moved on to that next big nugget. You know, back in the old days, you know, trains uh, represented a major advancement for for people who robbed. Why? Because they're all in, they could rob tons of people in one spot by just stopping a train. And the same thing related to data. You know, you don't want to go around to a hundred branches to get, you know. $3,000 a piece to get $300,000 you just go to one, one place and steal the data and it's just much more easy. It's not easily, just as easily, it's easier actually and the consequences are far fewer.
1: So that's how we're getting into the modern era, right? What do we have? We have ransomware, we have stealth attacks, but I want to concentrate a little bit more towards the middle of this list. Fishing, Spare fishing, and Whaling. Does anybody know what that is? All right, so fishing is, I bet everyone here has taken an email from somebody saying, you won $150 million, right? That's Phishing, right, they try to receive your personal information, your account number, right? Spare Phishing is the next step, this is when Multiple sources are targeting one one person in particular to get specific information about that person. Not only account information, but also personal information. Why is this important? Because you're going to whaling. Whaling is when somebody's going to use that information to go to somebody else that has some power, especially financial power, to Make them believe that least the previous person, right? And make them do something like send money out, right? So, what I want to show you here is um, November 13th. This is a traffic that goes all over the world. And by the way, you can find that information on the internet, it's very easy to find. Um, does anybody remember what November 13th was? What happened on that day? It was the Paris attack day. Okay. At the same time, multiple businesses in the U.S., along with ISPs, Internet service providers, were attacked. There were especially multiple ISPs that got the denial of service, meaning they could not provide service to their customers. And right? So you would try to go on the internet and click you know postal.com nothing will happen you will wait there for hours and hours so what what you can see on this is you can see most of them originate from china and they're hitting the us Um, you can see down at the bottom the the graphical representation of what happens per day and you can see actually other days that are higher traffic but The idea behind this specific date is you can see what happened in Paris and you see what happened in the U.S. as well.
2: Can I ask a question? Sure. What's the significance?
1: Well, the the significance is that once they start hitting you, you won't be able to do anything. right? The the target for them is the denial of service, which means you're going to be frozen.
0: Nothing. You
2: choose that date.
0: I think we chose that date to illustrate that uh, in times of chaos or times of opportunity, so if hackers see that people are distracted by something that's significantly newsworthy, it's an opportunity for them to move in because people aren't looking where they should. Right.
1: So um, another representation here is the different types of um, hacking and how they originate. Um, What I wanted to point out here is the the red line, which depicts the hacking uh, and phishing representation. You can see that the trend is just skyrockets, right? It's it's what's happening today. And the rate that the incidents happen is enormous, right? We have to be very careful. Um, Here's an example of phishing. Why is it important and how can you recognize one? You can see the the arrows where they're pointing to. What happens is actually if you put your cursor on top of them, what's going to happen is you're going to see that the link underneath, it's different than what's over there, what's being displayed. This is the easy way to recognize that this is not a true American Express link right I don't know if you guys know how to create a link usually you can type a text you can go to word and say this is a hyperlink and then on the background you can say whatever the actual link is so it doesn't matter what's being displayed there it's what's on the background okay so again back to this There there's some other pointers there there's no account number Where's your, where's your name? If this was truthfully American Express, they wouldn't know your name, right? It wouldn't be just a customer. Um, oh, right. This specific phishing example, I think James wants to go about
0: because yeah. it, it pertains to our company. Yeah. So, Christina Babcock is our, um, she's an executive assistant in the Boston office. And there's, I don't think there's a single partner that would not look at her emails. So. Here's an email example from Christina, dated April 25, just the other day. It's to me. And the subject was there was an assault uh, suspect caught on the camera in the building. So I'm thinking, oh my goodness, somebody was assaulted in the building. She talks about the late hours of Monday, April 25, which kind of makes me wonder, but at first you know, I don't see that late hours of April 25 because it's 2.14 p.m. that I got this email. Right? So that's the first clue into this. But I'm looking, I'm saying, okay, you know, I read through it. An AAF employee was, uh, was the victim of an assault in the lobby of the Boston office building. So I'm like, whoa, 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 this, this is very dear to us now because it's Boston office, AAF employee. It talks about a tall man, a medium build, wearing blue pants and a blue jacket and glasses, running away from the scene. Is that you, Vasily? <laughs> 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 All right, maybe not. So, but it says the building security system was able to catch this man on camera and they're looking for ways to identify him. And building management believed that he may have been in the lobby and on the floors of the building on other days and even during the day of the assault. So if anybody recognizes this person in the attached picture, uh, ask if the, it, it, we ask that they inform us immediately. Okay, inform me immediately, so that Christina's asking me. In response to this incident, building security has stepped up uh, patrols and the incident has been reported to the police. So I'm thinking, like, my goodness, Christina, you know, she sent this to me, and by the way, right now at 2.14 p.m., Christina went to lunch, so I can't actually get Christina to talk to her, right? So she's gone to lunch. I'm looking at this email, and I'm like, oh, my goodness, time is of the essence. What would What would you do if you got something from your own, you know, colleague that... Looks okay, right? It has the AEF thing, Christina Babcock. It looks all real to me, right? Does it look real to you? Yeah. yeah, it does. It does. But it's actually not from Christina, obviously. So the the question is what would happen if you clicked on that link? So what would happen is it would download it would look to you that nothing happened, because it would open up a picture and you'd be like Geez, that's so blurry. I can't see the person yet. It still looks like Vasily, but it wasn't Vasily. So, so it's so vague, it's so obscure that you're thinking, ah, you know, I can't do anything. And suddenly, you know, uh, Christina comes back from from lunch, and you talk to her. She goes, "I never sent it out, but it's too late. Why? Because during those that hour she was at lunch, what's happened is it's downloaded." a keystroke logger onto your computer. So Everything you type into your computer is going to be capturing. And it's also sent something so that an individual can go into your computer and look at everything you're doing and now can pretend they're your computer on the network. So you can imagine what type of damage can be done by unleashing something like this. It's absolutely disastrous. And even just within an hour, this is all very possible. So you've got to rethink now the shift from people uh, trying to attack your systems from the outside using very brute force methods to now people being very sophisticated about knowing how to push the buttons and how to copy things to make it look like something. I got a Staples email today and I kept on going over the links and I still haven't uh, clicked on it. That's how bad things are right now and you just don't know it but it's out there.
1: So here's another example of uh, uh, of a whaling. Um, I want you to pay attention to the sequence from bottom to the top of what's happening. So if we started from the bottom, you see Scott O'Connor. He's the CEO of the company. He's sending an email to um, Jerry Smith, who's the CFO of the company and he's asking for, uh, for a transfer of uh, 500 bucks. Right? It doesn't seem a lot, because obviously, here's the, 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 the well-in example, um, but obviously you don't ask for like a million dollars, because someone's gonna say, why are you asking a million dollars? And you know, they're gonna figure out that something's wrong. Um, there's no response, another email goes out, you know, what is the status, you know, what's going on? Eventually, you know, um, Jerry replies and he says I apologize you know I'm working where do you want me to send the money to and then Scott replies back and says please forward to blah 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 right what has happened though is that somebody has already gone into the system the, the, the enterprise environment and took Scott's information and now he sends the emails out to Jeffrey like being Scott, right? This is a very, very dangerous situation, right? Because if you're not paying attention and, you know, as James said, you know, not picking up the phone and talking to that person saying, hey, did you send me that email? You can very easily do it and send them money, right? So, because why? Why? It's a person you know, it's a person you trust. And that's what whaling is, all right? Now, has anybody seen this screen? Hopefully not. <laughs> Hopefully not, right? This is the ransomware screen. Remember what we kept saying in the old days, the Blue screen of death, this is when, you know, Windows is scrapping out and you lost pretty much everything. Well, it's almost like that. This is, if you read there, you see that they're asking for 300 bucks, right? What can you do? Nothing, your, your system is locked. You, you, you can't do anything about it,
2: right?
1: How do you fight these things? Be prepared, be aware, okay? Just be mindful of what's out there, what you're receiving. If, if something looks fishy, it probably is, right? So before you click that link, do some research. Okay? You don't wanna go to that. That's or for sure. You just
2: delete the
0: email. What? Say that again?
2: What
0: if you just delete the email? Yeah. So the question was, what if you just delete the email? That's absolutely fine. Okay. Nothing will happen then. Right. It's, it's people who click on those links or, or click on that picture, they could release ransomware. Or often going to a site, a website they shouldn't be going to uh, that would unleash ransomware. The only thing you can do, there is, a, there is a remedy. If you have great backups, then you restore your backups. But the problem is it's not always as easy as you think because you may have to restore an entire environment. It may have infected not just one computer but many computers in the organization. James, if, if, I mean, a company of 100, maybe, anybody can click on, the, on that link that you showed. If somebody clicks on the link, is there something that will detect that we have an employee click on it or that there's malware on our system? Yes, there, there are intrusion detection and malware detection systems that you can deploy. Uh, some of them are better than others, uh, even, uh, uh, you know, if you think of semantic or Kaspersky, uh, th- those don't pick everything up. They only pick the ones up that they already know of. So somebody had to have been violated for them to actually do something about it. By that time it's too late because those people are going around trying to violate everybody else. So those, those, are the, those are the methods. Unfortunately, uh, one's very detective and reactive to what's already known or looks for profiles of things. So if something's trying to take over a system as administrator, it'll block it. Um, and then uh, the intrusion detection uh, or prevention system in a similar way as well. But, but you'd be surprised how many organizations do not have intrusion detection and prevention systems or their antivirus signatures and malware signatures are not up-to-date, signatures meaning the most current version of the actual uh, software that, that does this blocking. Can I just say one more thing yeah. So as part of, because we were focusing on risk assessment today, so part of a technology risk assessment would be having a process for employees to forward suspicious emails to someone uh-huh. that would then look at them to see if they're okay or not? Yeah, so the, so that is part of the process, but you want to start even earlier than that. So we advise for security training so and awareness training. As Vasily was mentioning before, the best way to, to nip this is by having a very educated workforce because in the olden days, as Vasily pointed out, you know, IT was the focus. So all those methods of, of prevention of those old Methods of attack, those are all IT. What is the new method of prevention of the new method of attack? It is the employee taking personal responsibility and having the knowledge and awareness that these types of events could happen and that they are responsible for what they receive to make smart decisions on them. So that, that being one of those smart decisions. I saw something, I'm aware of it, I will call and I will, I'll ask. Or I will just delete it, but I will also make my IT department aware that it actually got through to me and it looked very suspicious.
2: So just to build on what you've just said, as an employee, I've had this screen appear on my computer. What, what's my appropriate next step?
0: So the appropriate next step is uh, to get to your IT department as soon as possible, because what they'll do is they'll shut it down from getting onto other computers first. The second thing they'll do is they'll make an assessment whether it makes sense just to close down your computer, you know, isolate, once they've isolated it, just to blow away the image on your computer and re-image it and, you know, hopefully your data is not all stored locally and to maybe restore a backup of your key or essential data. So, so those are typically steps you know, detection, alert, reaction, you know, reaction depending upon uh, the severity of the, the infection.
2: Should I copy
0: it 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 No, you don't want to start forwarding <laughs> things. You won't be able to do well, If you get this, you will be yeah. stuck. You won't be able to do anything. <laughs>
2: um,
1: we went through a series of the uh, you need to call us to take care of your virus detection. 19 Yeah, yeah. That's a form of this. But when I researched it, and I don't know if this is correct or not, when I researched it, they refer to the fact that most of us become lazy lazy to map all our drives. Mm. So, Mm -hmm. by mapping our drives, a program like this has a way to go into your F drive, Mm -hmm. Z drive, and your X drive. If you don't use map drives, then it can only affect your drive
0: That's uh, absolutely the case. So, uh, depending upon your level of access to those drives, the uh, ransomware could go in and infect all those drives and anybody who uh, is mapped to those drives could be infected as well. Right. It's actually partially true.
1: If if you don't have mapped drives, there is a way to go and infect other computers. Right. Um, Through the administrator, You know, what happens? You go in a company, you get a new employee, the administrator is going to go in and set up the computer for them, right? What that did is that the administrator has logged in into that computer. There is a way to go from the back door and get that credential. Once you get that credential,
0: you have access to everything. Yeah, I'm going to I'm going to put uh, other questions on hold just because there's a, a wealth of material that we want to share with you. We don't have a lot of time. But why do people rob banks? Yeah, very easy. That's where the money is. So the question is, why do people go after data? Because that's really where the money is, and I'll show you where the money actually is. But uh, it it. It used to be that businesses were by far the most attacked, now it's businesses here include not-for-profits, by the way. The healthcare uh, industry was actually a little higher last year, uh, the year before, than 2015. But I expect 2016 to be a huge target year because. You know if, if yeah why breach a healthcare provider because that's where the money is, and if you look at the average ransomware demand is about three hundred dollars or in, in vasily's case is three hundred euro right they wanted to cover both sides because they know he he comes from Greece, so whichever denomination is okay for him they'll pay um, they'll accept so uh the average credit card is only fifteen cents to ten dollars, but uh, we've seen it's really getting low, like the fifteen cent point is for masses of credit cards. So if you can hit lots and lots of computers for $300 a piece and people feel helpless and locked, they'll go pay it. You know, 15 cents a credit card, you have to get big troves of data. But the healthcare record, average healthcare record is $50 to $350 per record. And this isn't just one record being stolen, right? It's the entire treasure chest. So we're talking about huge, huge amounts of money You know, perpetrated by people very afar and very shielded from the law. So, um, you know, what do people use this for? So, the the reason why a credit card is not such a big deal is they try to buy stuff, there's only so much they will buy before it's shut down. But health records are used to, um, and, and PII, personal identifiable information, personal health information, are used to create identities. And identity theft. Is really really expensive to overcome as the individual, and it could take a long time for to overcome it. So lots of transacting can happen in the background before you can get a real grip over it. So just just to see uh, to show you how bad it can be, um, here's just a couple of examples. Uh, 5.4 million healthcare uh, health data records uh, were 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 breached. Um, through a very simple exploitation called heartbleed. This was a couple years ago, and there was a fix on this really immediately. But these guys did not get on the fix, or maybe they were one of the first. And over 10 million dollars in fines. And then you could think about all the legal and administrative stuff because all those people that were breached and then got their identity stolen, they're going to be suing as well. So yeah, people often in the healthcare industry we find. You know, we don't have it in the budget, we can't do it. Yes, it's important, but you know, not until next year. And then they're breached, and then they're spending astronomical amounts of money to fix what they could have just done proactively. And if you're not in healthcare, you, know, um, you have to think about then, what is the value of your data? So uh, here's an interesting ransomware one, Hollywood Pres- Presbyterian Medical Center. Uh, they had to go back to paper for a week. And the ransomware, they demanded 3.6 million dollars, but but they paid out actually 17,000 dollars, which is actually the highest that I know of to date. So 17,000 dollars down for a week. They went to a paper system. That's just absurd, right? Ah, our beloved Tewksbury, Massachusetts police department ransomware. They paid the 500 dollars. <laughs> The police department paid the ransomware. Isn't that just that blows your mind? You know, it's like, what are you guys? Aren't you the police? You know, you're paying the, the criminals for, and they got their data back. That's the funny thing. And there's a help desk too. You know, you want it back? You call this number. You can negotiate with them. You know, it's it's just they're very nice. You know, it doesn't sound like you know you don't get the foreign help desks. You know, like we get when you, when we really call for the help desk. So they get it down. Um, uh, the ubiquity network thing, you, you know, Vasily's example was for $500, but they literally lost 47.6 million dollars in a whaling expedition. Now they got a bunch of this money back, but so you know, a couple of things to think about. I mean, if you're doing um, if you're doing wire transfers, you know, some banks ask for people to be in person, all right. But many banks, if it's a business relationship, they say, okay, you have the you have the credentials here's the system, here's to how you get on, you know, this is what you do, and there's, um, you have signed away your company's life, <laughs> basically, because if a wire transfer is done, uh, perpetrated by fraud, and they can't get the money back, which many times they can, but many times they can't. In this case, I think they got $20 million back. But what happens is it gets transferred to one bank account, then to another, then to another, then to another. And it's not so simple to recover it because the authorities, you know, FBI has to get involved. There's a whole central banking notification system that gets involved in going to each bank to put freezes on on accounts. By that time, money's gone. So these guys lost a ton of money. It was very embarrassing for them. Um, and then right down to the little this Nissar Karashi, you know, he put uh, his his patient records in a storage shed, and they were they were stolen. So you know, the the, the, the challenge here is it can happen even it's not it's nothing cyber about that it's just crime. But you have to think about how valuable your data is. So the key thing here is you are really not the one to determine how valuable your own data is, right? We all think we know how valuable our data is and whether people want it or not. But that's not really the way to do it. It's like me just telling you, so, telling you what you need without asking you what you need, right? It's the same thing. So you really, you really have to be aware that your data is worth something to somebody. How much and how much of a target? That's a great question. But if your data is worth something, people will be tempted to steal it, right? It's only good logic. So what can you do? Well, you could go develop countermeasures that, including, that include identifying the risks and the threats like we talked about this morning. It's part of that enterprise risk management uh, process uh, or risk identification process. You come up with countermeasures. We typically call those controls. And it really has to be a combined effort of people, process, and technology. This is not the olden days where Vasily talked about the, uh, in, the, in the early days, you just picked up the computer and you walked away with it, right? This is not that day anymore. You're dealing with very sophisticated organizations with way more IT resource than anybody's organization <laughs> here in combined could ever afford to put together to combat. So... Also, there are, there's these added complexities out there. So we were talking about the cloud, right? Oh, wow, I sent it to the cloud, I have my cloud service provider, or I have my outside IT uh, people. They got me covered, okay? Hosting partners, business associates. So the questions you need to ask is, where are my data, What and what standards are you using to secure those data against, right? So we tend to trust because we believe these are big organizations that have a better grip on it than we do, and they are, they absolutely are, but we shouldn't rest on that. Many of these organizations have these SOC reports, they used to be called SAS 70s, now called SSA 16s, or SOC 1s, or SOC 2s, or uh, AT801s, whatever they're called now. We do them, by the way. We do a lot of them. We we joke around thinking that they're in the witness protection program because there's so many different names for these reports. But the key thing to know about these reports is that there are controls in those reports that you, as an organization, have to have implemented for the system of controls to be functioning properly. So, uh, also, you know, various organiz- uh, various providers are HIPAA compliant or not. Uh, there was uh, a provider that's one of our clients, and they use an EPHI system, uh, a health record system, and uh, that system is not certified, and it's and it's handling healthcare data, and everybody knows about it, and that's really bad. So you need to think about that. So, what can you do? Buy a lot of cyber insurance, right? That's the ticket. Who has cyber insurance? Who's thinking about cyber insurance? Yeah, it's ticket, right? Yeah, yeah, right. So, the market obviously has grown enormously and appropriately, right, because we look to insurance to give us uh, ourselves that confidence and comfort that we have something to fall back on. So, and in gen- generally speaking, your general liability or your, your E&O policies really don't cover cyber uh, well at all. So you have to go out and, and select a policy. So here, I'm gonna give you an example. So, here's a case, cottage healthcare system. It's a really good one, I think. So they had a server uh, related to their whole health system and its affiliates, 32,500 patient records were left accessible and searchable by the internet. You Google, it would go right onto their system and you'd be able to see those data. So it's already they were breached, right? But through ignorance in, in essence. So a lawsuit was filed, they settled for $4.125 million. That's a lot of money, right? But they had a cyber policy from CNA, and it was worth $10 million. We're doing good, right? $10 million policy, 4125 in the the settlement, looking good, things worked fine. Guess what? Well, let's think, is the, the policy covering those situations? Yeah, it was for privacy injury claims. Makes sense. And there was absolutely no dispute as to whether the data breach lawsuit that they settled would trigger the actual policy coverage. But The claim was actually denied. She was thinking, how can I possibly have a cyber policy in place, in force, and there's no dispute as to whether the the breach triggered the policy coverage, and, and it was denied. That just doesn't make sense. So Cottage Health went and sued their insurance carrier. And CNA came back and said, well, remember... Remember when you had to fill out that assessment and you said you were going to do all these things. You know, you really failed to to implement the procedures and risk controls in our application and you failed to check and maintain all the patches and blah 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 blah. Sounds like a big excuse, but the problem is the claim was denied and the case was found in favor of the insurance company because Whereas your insurance policy, where you can go out and get drunk, drive your car and smash into somebody's house and the coverage will pay for the house and your car and everything, that sounds wonderful. In cyber world, it doesn't work that way. If you do not take those precautions and do what's required in the policy, they will gladly take your money and issue the policy, but they won't gladly give you the money back. And that's the problem. So this is is why I said you took the red pill, This is the truth, okay? So what do we do with our clients? We talked about this a little earlier. We do a a lot of security and risk assessments, and we look at the IT controls, both those IT general controls that we talked about, and we do these IT vulnerability assessments by running software against people's environments and seeing what we can find out. It was an interesting scenario, one of our, we're doing, by the way, this right now, this second, and one of our clients um, in multiple locations. Uh, one, of, one time we did this, and we were, we were sponsored by the finance organization, and the IT department had no idea what was going on. I don't recommend this, but it was interesting because the IT department actually caught it, not because they, were, they had this detection system, it was somebody was developing a web server and said, what's all this traffic? You know, we're, the server's not even up. So they, they, they were all proud that they shut, shut us down. And they said, so was, were you coming in from this IP address? And they're like, yep, yep, yep. We shut you down. And I was like, well, not exactly. We were still able to get some information. And I said, let me ask you a question. And they are like, well, what's that? I said, well, how about the second IP address that we were coming from? Were you aware of that? And they were like, second IP address? What? Oh, no, we weren't. So they shut us down on that one too, but the fact is they had no idea we were doing this. The other day we went into an office uh, at the request and we, uh, our guy, Michael Anderson, who Carla pointed out earlier that nobody in the firm has seen because we'd have to kill everybody in the firm and then you'd have to get new auditors. Um, Mike, we had Mike go in to an organization and he went in, he walks through the front door on his cell phone, somebody gave him a nasty look, he went all the way upstairs, he parked himself at a cube and sat down and plugged in. And you know what he got? He was able to set up an email relay server. So he captured all the emails going in and out of this organization for the period of time he was there. And then he he got on the network he saw everybody's computer. He went after specific computers to see what was on those computers and see how vulnerable they were. And he found the vulnerabilities. So this is really serious stuff because somebody could plug in any place and get in. Um, yeah. So I'm going to move this along. So what can you do? You have to have good controls you know, if good, you have good controls, you reduce the probability of accidents. And I think that that's pretty much it. Um, yeah, and you can actually get a cyber security policy paid if you have good controls. Um, so now, Dave Consigli is gonna come up here, uh, but we highly recommend after this session, you may wanna talk to us, but we really, more importantly than talking to us, you need to drink a lot so that you forget everything you learned, <laughs> all right? The, the red pill has to be negated. Come on, Dave.
2: <laughs> <laughs> so what I'm gonna talk about is you have a, a security breach and what to do once you figure that out. I realize I'm standing between you and cocktail hour now, and. But if you do figure out that you have a security breach, that's what you're going to want to do is, is have a drink first. Um, but after you do that and kind of settle down, the first thing um, you want to do is, is talk about what the notification process. And more importantly, first of all, assess the damage. You need to figure out what is it, what happened, what was the security breach? Was this something small or is this just the tip of the iceberg? Sometimes what happens is it's the smallest thing that happens, and all of a sudden you dig deeper, and next thing you know, it's it's something really big. And uh, this is this is important because you're going to have to notify uh, notify your security officers, um, document how the breach was discovered, and identify where it was discovered. Right? What we want to do is, especially in the in the documentation part, um, you, we talked earlier about insurance. You know, if, if you have an insurance claim, the other thing you're going to have to do is you're going to have to justify what that claim is, right, and what's the, what's the dollar amount. Uh, some of the in- investigative steps you can take is you want to establish a, a response team and, and almost at the same time stop the source, right? We want to we stop the bleeding, right? We can't, we can't operate on the problem until the bleeding stops. Um, you know, we want to we determine who in- internally do we need to notify. Right? And then maybe we want to carry out a, a forensic investigation. I've been involved in a lot of forensic investigations where there may be an insurance, insurance claim to go with it. So you have to justify how much did we lose. Because the insurance companies are pretty tough. Even if they, even if they approve the claim, now they really beat you up on what's the dollar amount. So you really have to do that. You may, you may need to notify people externally. Right? You may your attorneys and, and maybe your forensic accountants some other actions maybe you have to notify the agencies that you might report to you know who's who, who's funding you you know th- those people need to know start collecting evidence again we're trying to you know y- you think that okay we had a security breach uh, we need to stop the bleeding we need to stop everything but also we're also kind of building our own case too right either, either for legal purposes or for insurance purposes and then of course if you need to talk about are we going to notify the victims and how we do that it's you know it's kind of i have this vision that there's a security breach and everything's going crazy and everyone's jumping ship you almost have to kind of calm things down and bring in the right team establish the right team and make sure you're taking the necessary steps because that's going to impact what happens going forward whether you either get paid by insurance company or in any legal actions some of the follow-up activities after it happens it's, um, it's good to evaluate your security system, evaluate your team, determine how well you worked, how well you, you reacted to everything, and then maybe document your, your findings and use it as a training resource. Tough way to get training. What's it gonna cost? It's kinda like the uh, Grim Reaper just keeps going here, right? Every, every step of the way is costing you money. Right, the detection, the recovery, um, investigating the incidents. Um, some, you know, I've done forensic accounting. It's the most expensive accounting, <laughs> right? Um, you know, business interruption, obviously, lost clients. You know, to give you an idea, in 2015, 58 companies lost an average of 15 million dollars, ranging from 1.9 million to 65 million. Um, the other thing of fines. You know. Um, James talked about the healthcare industry, and that's where the money is. That's where the fines are too, right? You know, the, the highest three HIPAA fines totaled $12 million, an average of $4 million per, per fine. at and was fined $25 million. So it's not only the cost to get everything together, the cost to recover. Um, also too, you gotta be careful about fines. You're, it's also a state State by state issue too. Massachusetts has one of the strict, one of the strictest data um, data fines. What are some of the reparations? I could probably summarize this in uh, pretty much one word: none. <laughs> I mean, I think the you know your chances of, of recovering some of your money about as as uh, as good as me winning the Boston Marathon. It's just it's just it's just difficult. There's very few um, perpetrators. Are going to pay back, they're, even if they're incarcerated. Um, you know, it's going to take a long time. They're going to be they're going to be in jail for a while. So then you're not you're really not going to get paid for them. And that's if you even know who did it. You know, earlier uh, we showed the slide um, of the, of the map of all the activity going on. AT and T's security breach was from call centers in Mexico and uh, Colombia. So you know everything is it's you know it's the whole world that we're looking at. Talk about a needle in a haystack that's that's what the difficult part of it um, since most of them come overseas is very very hard to detect some of the next steps and I think James touched on these um, earlier too was you know look for methods to to ensure the integrity of your of your system run run vulnerability tests um, you know have control assessments performed use your outside consultants to help you um, in training training your personnel I think I think the, you know, the world's kind of changing where now our data is almost like one of our biggest assets where you know, we have to work on protecting it because everybody wants it. So it's no more, and I think Fasali said it earlier, it's, it's, it's not a matter of when it's going to happen, it's, it's not a matter of if it's going to happen, it's going to matter of when it's going to happen. So you have to, you have to really change your mindset to we need to protect our data, we need to protect our, our securities. And and not only that, we need to train our personnel to be doing the same thing and have the same mindset. That's it.